Kia ora koutou, hello everybody and welcome to Epic Aotearoa Create a Better Future podcast where every week we share uplifting messages told by New Zealanders in their own words. Our mission is to share the learnings from those lived experiences, inspire our listeners to take positive action and go out there and create a better future. Proudly brought to you by co-founders Joe Hortai, former soldier in the Special Air Service, family man and aspiring entrepreneur, and Brian Osman, a knowledge engineer, family man, entrepreneur and all-round good dude. Thank you for connecting with us today. Now let's get started and create a better future. Let's go. Kia ora Aotearoa, welcome to the new series. This is In the Service of Others, Who Dares Wins, and we're back with co-founder Joe Hortai, former Special Forces operator, SAS, um, and we're going to spend time with him today, talking about his time in the unit, how he's transitioned out of the unit, and, and a whole lot of different things. So we're really keen to get into this because I'm, I'm really interested to hear Joe's perspective on his time in, this, in the regiment and how the things that he's learned and the things that they have probably have impacted him in many, many different ways. So let's see what happens. Let's see how we go. So kia ora Joe, welcome. Kia ora brother, good to see you Pete. Yeah, good to see you too bro. Hey, let, let's start off. I know back in, in our first podcast, you, you talked about having that burning desire when you were 14 to, to be yep. like, oh, I wanna be a, I wanna be a special forces operator or I want to be in the SAS or yeah, I want to be I want to be in all three of them <laughs> all three countries but when you when you when you got to that point I'm going to just jump straight into it but when you got into that point where you were able to to apply for or go for selection was it everything you thought it was um when when I got to apply you mean before when you get to play, sorry, probably the part where you're actually in it now. You're you, you you you've applied and you're into um, the start of uh, selection. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was uh, to like I without knowing exactly what was going to be involved, I had somewhat of an idea prior to selection because you hear the stories of of people that have gone on to make it or and or um, the opposite to that. You hear the stories of those that. That have failed and and you hear the different parts that they failed on so so things would jump out at me it'd be some people that say oh they you know a whole bunch of people fail after you know without even getting through day one which is quite physically taxing and all that sort of stuff um then you hear then i'd hear stories of people failed the open uh open navigation phase um, which is a period of time i won't go into all the details but a period of time where you're conducting these navigation leaks um Mm. and they were either coming in too slow or under time. Uh, then I'd hear other stories of people that had failed on the dunes phase, or you know, once you get to the end of the selection or the last day, and you're doing the 60 clicker or the 60 kilometer um, pack march, the, the final part of it, you, you're thinking by that stage, you know, you're pretty much you've you've completed the selection if you can get to that stage, because then it's just a case of just one foot after the other, so to speak. But um, so as I sort of pieced all those things together, I'd, I'd heard all of that stuff before I went on selection. <clears throat> and even though I didn't know exactly when that would happen or when that would be, um, I was sort of in my own head ticking off little landmarks. Oh, cool, got through that. Yeah, I'm through that piece. I'm through that piece. And uh, yeah, and just just made my made my way through. So I, this is just in relation to the New Zealand 
um, selection process as well. So we'll probably delve into that a little bit more um, as we go through. But yeah, I guess to answer your question, was it everything I expected it to be? Um, yeah, to be quite honest, it was. And, and in many respects, I thought it was even better than, than what I thought because, um, <laughs> because of the, the structure, everything, man, was just my experience in the tutor was just on point like they yeah. they we were expected to be at this place at this time if you weren't there you you found out about it um and just the ds at the time so the directing staff the instructors were just you know i didn't even know them but i was already had an immense amount of respect for them just because they've been through this and um and what what i sort of pictured in my head that they've been a part of and done in the service of others and the service of the people next to them and their families and their country and the unit as a whole so yeah it, it was everything I thought plus a little bit Just more, a little more. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> there's a um there's a documentary that floats around on YouTube now but um it was made a, a number of years ago because the the uniforms are a lot older um it's the, the old um uh, the old DPM style. DPM style, yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it talked about selection to to the unit a little bit more above the uh, beyond that. I forget when it was when it was done, but it's, you find it on YouTube now. And they talk yeah. about the um, the the they show the selection at the beginning, and, and there's a there's a group, and they go off on a river run, and even then, um, and they came back, and even then, some people fail that that run. So I, I can only imagine you're hyping yourself up to to okay, I'm starting, and then you get you don't even get past that first hurdle so um i guess what i'm trying to say with that is is yeah you've gone all the way through selection right. so what drove you there must have been something unique about you and about other operators that have gone through selection to get to out to the other end barring injury because right, <laughs> it happens right? yeah but what was your what was your driver good question b um I, I I think it's the same. Actually, no, I won't. I won't jump the gun. Everybody's going to be different. Mm. For me, putting my young uh, schoolboy hat on, the initial desire and drive was I thought it looked cool. That was my initial thought. When I saw the yeah. book and I saw the images, I thought, man, that looks cool. I'd love to do that. Once I joined the Army and then um, sort of, started understanding more about what was going to be involved in that and the nature of that type of work mm. that increased my desire to want to get there even more because for me then it was uh, something that was going to be really purposeful really meaningful and and in my head was going to be really helpful to to not only myself but to people that I would be fortunate enough to come into contact with so those that may not be in a position to look after themselves or, or get out of whatever situations they, they may be in and uh, governments and defence forces for whatever reason are called upon to go and help out. Um, so there was that aspect in terms of a broader picture in my mind. And then as it came down to it, for me at least anyway, mm. on the ground, it then became more about the people that I was there with, the ones that I'd mm. gone through with the, my brothers the people that I was fortunate enough to serve alongside so just clarifying here um in this aspect so we're we're talking about I think uh, or this piece that I'm describing is from my time with 
in the Australian Regiment. So just rewinding and, and the drive for that, I always wanted to, as you sort of, as you touched on, New Zealand one, um, and the eventual plan, but it wasn't, didn't become, didn't start to become as clear until a situation which happened in NZ, which I'll talk about, uh, where I then really started go, okay, I'm gonna do the Australian one. And then a few years later, I said, cool, I wanna do the British one now. But the driver was always, I guess it, it, it evolved over time. Um, so the driver was, yep, I thought that looked cool to, yep, there could be, there's a there's a purpose behind this and what it could mean in terms of benefiting others that may not be in a position to help themselves or look after themselves. And then to being on the ground was, well, for me anyway, actually, I need to make sure that my brothers are okay, that the people left and right of me and, and my leaders are, are good and that they that they get back home and that we get back home so yeah that just sort of evolved for me over over that time um in terms of my purpose and drive and that drive never left so once once i was there and in the thick of it and, and even to a degree or no not to a degree to be absolutely honest during selection and cycle as well that became more clear too so mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily that um once i was on operations then i felt the bond to my brothers even stronger that happened before we even stepped foot on the operational battlefield so to speak so um, I was already wired that way in terms of everything that was happening and what I was feeling and what I was going through to the point that you know when it comes time that we deploy on operations then um, I'm going to do everything I can to to make sure that the boys are safe because I know they're going to be doing the same for me so yeah the drive was very yeah, it evolved and, and was deep and meaningful for me anyway. Still is today. Yeah. Beautiful. I like that. That, that actually paints a, um, a very human side to this. Because yeah, I guess what we see in, in the media is, is a, a snapshot of a video that's one hour long or three minutes long. There's other videos about NZSAS or the SASR or, or what have you on, on YouTube. There's, there's, a, um, there's a reality show on at the moment here in Australia called SAS Australia where they put through celebrities through different oh, activities. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which, is, which is really interesting. But painting that, that human side, I want to go again, just hone a bit more on, on, on the selection part of it. Yeah. You, know, you, know, you talk about that camaraderie, you talk about that, that, that purpose and that drive, but when you're all by yourself, Mm. doing the 60 clicker or you're you're um you're doing that run all by yourself or mm. uh, or what have you and you let i'm going to jump into that 60 clicker because uh, i only seen this on the video and, and i've heard you know some other people talk about it but you get to halfway or, or what have you and you, you you're sleep deprived or whatever how does your brain work how do you keep going how do you what is driving you there um yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I, for me, mm-hmm. it was really simple. Like, I, I felt, well, I was in my mind. It was really clear. It was mm-hmm. clear. I I knew this was just me, my my thoughts and feelings. I knew once I got to that stage, I was going to finish. I was going to finish the selection, and nothing was going to unless unless I got run over by a car or some wild animal <laughs> coming up. You don't have any that's going to you know attack me and rip me up or anything like that. Mm. I was completing. I was finishing. Whether I was crawling by the time I got across the finish line, or whether I was you know trying to find some way to slide myself or drag myself across the ground, I was gonna I was gonna finish. So in my head, I had already 
made it, if that makes sense. Made it in the sense of I've already completed selection. Mm. Um, it didn't matter at that stage. Nothing, everything else leading up to that point, uh, if, if nothing, if all the other activities leading up to that point hadn't stopped me by that stage, my mindset was nothing was going to stop me by, by the time I got to there. So, um, yeah. yeah, so that was quite easy for me to drag myself through. Physically, it was, it's, yeah, it's definitely tough. My feet were... Uh, were pretty wrecked as everybody's are usually are um, they were swollen up pretty badly uh, by the time we got to the end um, and that that's partly due to me not really managing myself as well as what I could have so I was young and naive and um, you know only 20 years of age as well at the time and didn't understand fully like I could have managed that heaps better my feet would have mm. come out in pretty good nick I, I think like in hindsight and having that benefit of hindsight but what I did was I just tabbed and tabbed, or walked and walked and until I needed to stop and just keep going trying to trying to finish it as quick as I could without realizing that all that time and hours on my feet and walking sometimes hard road sometimes gravel road and all the different bits and pieces that go along with it um, all I needed to do was like walk consistently for periods of time stop and have a rest get my feet up and that would have uh negated a lot of the swelling that happened in my feet and as i think back about it and as i thought about it after but i didn't i was young and dumb and just, just <laughs> um, and on that, i remember on that day <clears throat> now i don't know if it was intentional but it seemed to me that we left uh it was slowest to quickest so whoever came in last over the over the phase of what happened leading up to that um the next day from my recollection is this is on the new zealand one they left first and there was about a two to five minute gap something like that between each person mm. and i left third to last and um because i knew I, I had been doing okay in terms of my times and, and getting to the landmarks that i needed to get to and then i left third to last and i was I was flying. I felt like I was, I was hammering, and I was I was at the front for ages. And I was thinking, I'd look back and I couldn't see anybody. I was like, "This is awesome!" <laughs> and, uh, and then carry on. There'd be water stops along the way, so the directing staff there'd be vehicles and there'd be some uh, jerry cans and stuff where we could top up with water, and you know, carrying on. And then I then I got passed by uh, I think it was. John McNutt, uh, sadly, he was an officer. He mm. he's passed away. He died. Uh, I think it was uh, he was in the states at the time from memory, and um, really good man. I thought he was a really good man. I didn't get to spend as much time with him as I would have liked, but um, fit, strong. I'm pretty sure he left last that day, so I left third to last. I had this. I was in front for ages, so he must have been running or something. But he <laughs> he stopped me down. No sweat, and then he was gone, and then I didn't. Then I couldn't see him. <laughs> I didn't see him at the end. Um, and then there was another good friend of mine. He's not uh, serving anymore. I, I, I don't know if I'll mention his name here, but mm. he ended up um, overtaking me. He's somebody that I'd love to have on this particular series. He finished second. I think I ended up finishing third. Yeah, I did end up finishing third. So left third to last. Finished third. Um, John McNutt was first, and then the other guy was second. Then myself dragged myself in later, um, but I could have just managed myself better, um, and I didn't. But again, lessons learnt from that. So mm. 
to hopefully that answers your question. I was in a good frame of mind, B. I, like I was, yeah, right through even to the end. The only thing that really hurt was just my feet. My yeah. feet were really painful. They were swollen. Even once I stopped to sit down and have them flat and then try to elevate them, the pain was just really, really sharp and something that I hadn't felt before and it was constant. So lesson learned from there. I can, you know, I could have powered along, stopped, powered along, stopped, but I didn't. I just like powered along for as long as I could, stopped, carried on. I don't know how many times I stopped, um, but I got to the stage where my feet hurt that bad that if I sat down to put my feet up, I, it was a real struggle to get myself back to my feet so I would stay on my feet and just mm. hunch myself over and oh, just geez. just lean forward and rest my pack on my back and stay on my feet because the pain of having to get up off the ground was just that intense that I um, yeah that, that probably would have been difficult for me to get up I would have got up or I would have dragged and crawled but I didn't want to go through that, that yeah. pain, so I just stayed on my feet yeah. and would rest there for moments at a time and then carry on walking again. Yeah. Do you find um? Did you find that when you got passed twice because you were in front for ages, right? Did that did that ever mess with your mind? No, it it, it actually peed me off. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, um, because I, yeah, I had, I was so far in front, like yeah. literally there were some massive long straights yeah. and I would turn back and couldn't see anybody. And I was like, man, I'm going to smash this. Like, <laughs> I'm coming. <laughs> and it didn't happen. Uh, but John McNutt, yeah, just, man, I'm, you know, for me, I don't know what he was like as, as a leader, as an officer in the unit once he was in, once he was badged and serving, because I never had that privilege to serve with him in the New Zealand unit. But from all accounts and from what I've heard and from my short time experience with him on cycle, um, oh, and on selection and then on cycle, he is he's a bloody good man. So, mm. uh, yeah, that was really sad to read and hear in, in the news uh, that he had passed and it was, yeah, just the... the Oh, I won't go into the detail of it, but it's it's on the news in terms of what happened it was an accident on a training exercise, and they, yeah, the the ordnance got dropped in the wrong place, from what I understand, and yeah, sadly he was one of those that that passed away <clears throat> over there at that time. But yeah, to come back to your question, yeah, it, it annoyed the hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> there seems to be uh, again, and, and this is just on 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 what you see on the media. There seems to be that degree of um, competitiveness you know not only with uh, i guess to some extent with others but it's that competitiveness within yourself to keep going and you know i can imagine you you're way out in front uh-huh. and, and 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 knowing you joe you're just like okay i'm gonna keep going i'm gonna smash this and then somebody overtakes you oh, what the and you, and you try and try and get there but i guess i guess you would have swung there around but it sounds like to me right and, and please correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like you're all good up here. And you, you just said that. So I guess to get all good up here in your in your mind to be able to complete something as arduous as, as selection would mean that you were prepared physically to do that. Do you, would that be fair to say? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Be like, and that's that's another really good point. So <clears throat> as much as um, you don't need to be the fittest or the strongest um, in, in terms of a physical sense mm-hmm. with regards to being a member of a unit like that or even doing selection and, and going through cycle and then operating um it helps it, it 
it certainly helps. It's not the most important part. The most important part I found, which I realized later, was the mindset to to want to be there in the first place. And that's been, in my experience anyway, that's been the only real definitive um, distinction between those that make it and those that don't. Now, to, to your point though, the physical aspect 100% shouldn't be neglected and go, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm all good up here, so I'm just going to eat pies and donuts and cakes and ice cream, <laughs> soft drink. Chocolate. Um, because... Yeah, you'll end up feeling like those pies and cakes and and ice creams and fizzy drinks as you're trying to to breathe. Um, So I knew, again, and I I heard, got tips from people that had been on selection that had come back and then, uh, you know, didn't get through and then they went back again. And one of the things that stuck out for me, really good friend of mine, I'm going to mention his name here. Um, He's out of the unit now, but I'll I'll mention his name because it, it really stuck out to me i don't remember the exact location that we were in but i remember he was talking about his time on selection he had gone on selection wasn't didn't get through the first one Mm. uh got sent back to the unit or or whatever his situation was but he said something that stuck out in my head and i connected with it straight away he said that his legs were weak he said my just my legs were weak aaron pohatu um good man he's, he's still here in, in nz but he said his legs were weak um and they just weren't strong enough mentally he was good but his legs weren't strong enough to get him up and down the hills and to cover the distance and the required time and that sort of thing mm. and i thought oh, man what are my legs like <laughs> are my legs less strong enough and i was thinking yeah i'm not too sure so anyway yeah. my once I received again that little nugget, just these little snippets of information that I was picking up before I mm. put it, before I was able to put in my application, my uh, approach to that was I grabbed a mortar box. Um, it's a the mortar platoons have them in the battalion that I was at at the time. They have the ordnance and stuff in there, but you know you collect them after exercises and whatever like that because they're handy for storing whatever in, in your room and that sort of stuff. So I had these mortar boxes. <clears throat> And I would sit it in the corridor outside my room. Television, when I used to have television, would be on or music. I had a stereo, play some music. And I would load my pack up with heaps of weight and just be in the corridor with all my gear on and then just step up, up and down, step up, step up. Every night. That was one tool that I used. Quite a bit of running that I would do. I was never a great runner, still not a great runner. Um, but a lot of endurance type stuff. And then putting the pack back on increasing the weight and just step ups after step ups and that that was my never-ending hill, never um, ending hill. Yeah. yeah yeah so i just i never won against that hill i never <laughs> made it to the top because it was always there so get up and get down get up and get down and that that really helped me at least in my experience my legs felt really good mm. so knowing that physically i felt that i was okay i again i could have done more to prepare myself physically mm. um but I, I didn't really know. I didn't have a training program. Uh, there wasn't. I didn't ask anybody for a training program. I just, when I heard that piece of information, made me think about what are my legs like. I knew I could run the required distance for the, you know, the the basic testing requirements of what would be expected as the minimum. I knew I could do the push-ups. I knew I could do the sit-ups and all that sort of stuff of what was required and expected. Um, but I didn't know how my legs would fare 
over the duration of the selection and the demands that that would be placed on them so yeah that that was one aspect if anything i just hammered the step ups or the heavy bag um to try to get myself as prepared as i could and that was probably aside from the other minimum fitness requirements of it that was probably where i spent the majority of my time yeah wow that actually that's a nice way you phrase it the never-ending hill it's it's almost like and not only was it you're building your legs but you're building your mind as well you know, <laughs> the, the, it's, whatever's coming i'm just gonna i'm just gonna smash it so i, I just wanted to, to to swing a little bit with this because you, you went through selection so how many times did you go to selection with uh, in new zealand new zealand sas just once yes yeah, so right. i went through and, and was successful on my first attempt which was which was great oh carpet all right so then let's i just want to swing to, then you go into Australia. I'll, I'll come back to NZ in, in, in a little bit, but then you go to Australia and and, and, and you you go out for selection to SASR. Um, now, how many times did you go through selection there? Was it just the once? Once, yeah, One yeah. Time. I was right. successful in the first attempt as well, which was yeah. which was another bonus. Yeah, beautiful. Well, there you go. So, comparing the two, and, and maybe you're not comparing apples with apples, but how yeah. did you find the second time with SASR? Yeah, awesome question. I, I got asked this question by the panel. Uh, I forget what day of the Australian selection it was on, mm. but there was um, an officer, a couple of, uh, or a sergeant, and maybe a staff sergeant and a corporal. Mm. So there's a bit of a panel sitting in front, and I got asked that question directly because they knew that I had um, come from NZ, that I had completed the NZ selection and cycle. Um, and I don't know how much they knew uh, up until that point of the reasons why um, I wasn't able to serve operationally or go to a, to a designated squadron in the New Zealand group. We'll probably come back to that at some stage. But um, he asked me, he goes, so uh, his, his question was similar to yours, but probably more direct and blunt. <laughs> and so his question was, so candidate 19. So that was my, my number at, on the Australian selection. Which selection is harder, the New Zealand one or this one? And I was, I was, I was sitting there. We got to come in and sit down. It was late at night, and I thought, man, that is one heck of a loaded question. Yep. And I thought, um, this is do or die for me right now. If I, <laughs> how I answer this question? He's on the shopping block. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, then I thought, you know what? I'm just going to be honest. Mm. And so. Um, I was, and, and my reply went sort of along these lines. I said, oh, I said, um, to be honest, staff, so we still needed to call everybody staff. I said, I found the New Zealand selection a lot harder. And you could see the body language, and I just felt <laughs> the whatever it was in the air in that room, just like getting their, their back up, sort of like, yeah. who the heck does this guy think he is? Um, and that's what it felt like. That's probably completely wrong, but that's what I was. That's what was going through my mind. And I could even feel the hairs on the back of my neck standing up, thinking they are not happy with this answer. Yeah. Anyway, I said, um, "Yeah, to be honest, I found the New Zealand one harder." And before, or probably almost simultaneously, as he said, "So why is that?" I was then going into further explaining the reasons why, and then I, I delved in and said, "Well, the." The reason that I say that is because when I did the New Zealand selection, I was young, I was a lot younger, I was inexperienced, um, not only in life, but 
in soldiering in general. I didn't know and I had no sort of um, training program to help you know prepare me physically for for that selection and so by the time I finished the New Zealand selection I was pretty well beaten up and broken like my body was was really broken down like mentally I was good but I got to the end and just knowing that it was finished and getting the handshake at the end early hours in the morning by the, the staff there that's congratulating you saying well done for completing and it's not a big celebration it's like well done you've completed it's like get on the back of the truck now <laughs> I was like it was just this release of I didn't need to be on edge anymore I had completed that and then that's when I felt all the pain <laughs> just amplified even more and that stayed with me for weeks after selection not days but weeks for me anyway wow. <clears throat> and so and just to put that into context I went on selection the New Zealand one uh no not 98 just over 100 no yeah 98 no 110 sorry 110 kilos i went on mm. just under mm. and i came off selection me off the new zealand one anyway uh 78 kilos so um yeah i just i lost a massive amount you don't get fed a heck of a lot on selection yep. and uh yeah and my body was eating whatever it could to to maintain <laughs> itself so i um if you want a rapid weight loss program, <laughs> go selection. Yeah, but uh, <clears throat> and that was over probably a fifteen-day period. So there's yeah. the pre-selection and then the the number of days pre-selection and then the actual selection. So yeah, anyway, that aside, short period of time to lose that amount of weight, but you're clocking up distance and kilom- or kilometers and all that sort of stuff and not getting a lot to eat. So I mentioned I didn't go into all that detail, but I described in a nutshell where I was coming from young inexperienced lack of training and understanding but I was I had a genuine desire to want to be there and I said so coming here to the Australian one and being on the Australian selection I feel like and I mentioned I remember saying this I said I feel like I have an advantage over those that are on the selection and I said I don't know how many are here for the first time or if it's their second time or whatever but I feel like I have an advantage because I've gone through that process, albeit different. Um, I've got, I have a better understanding of what to expect on selection. I have a better awareness of my body and what and how and where I can probably pace myself better than just throwing myself um, 100% into things. And just a just an overall better appreciation of what's going to be involved and that it's that it's a long process and that it's um, I'm better able to manage myself mm. in in the middle of those things and so I said I feel like I'm, I'm way better prepared for this selection and I said and at this stage because the selection wasn't finished I, I, again I think in all honesty I think we might have only been day three or four in selection when we had these little panel interviews and so I had no idea um, that was the other thing with the Australian one I was uncertain in terms of the duration of the selection I knew it was longer than the one I had done in NZ but by this stage I clarified for them as well and said you know and as far as I'm aware um, I'm still only early days in this selection so right at the moment you know my time on the New Zealand one I found it I found a lot harder than where I'm at at this stage on the Australian one mm. and um, <clears throat> once I had gotten all of that out again I felt the mood or the environment change 
And the same gentleman, the officer, captain at the time, that asked me the question, his reply was simple, bit of a smirk on his face, and he said, good answer. And then, um, <laughs> and then I was expecting to just be beasted. Selection, <laughs> But you know what? Um, with all due respect and, and appreciation to SASR and what they did, they didn't. I wasn't targeted or, or singled out. Oh, actually, maybe one point, one experience, which I'll share now, if that's all right, B. There was only one time where I felt um, the pressure, so to yeah. speak, of the Australian selection. <clears throat> and that was we had finished um, some open country navigation stuff at one area in Perth there, and then we were getting on the trucks to head to uh another part of there in western australia so if i'm if i'm recalling correctly we had done some navigational stuff in a place called lancelin and then we were traveling from lancelin to a place called collie and so i had time then i was then tasked after the lancelin phase of the selection that i needed to learn the australian national anthem <laughs> i was asked first i was asked first if i knew it and uh yeah can it 19 come on over here and I got called over went over your staff heels together standing up as straight as I could do you uh do you know the Australian national anthem I was like oh. I said uh no staff he goes well have I got something for you <laughs> piece of paper and it had both verses so that I'm not sure if you're aware I think usually what well, you would be in the Australian national anthem at sporting events it's usually just the first verse that they mm. sing um, well, he handed me the piece of paper that had both. And he said, um, you need to learn this and you're going to sing it for us when we get to Collie. So we, the distance and time, that time I was wanting to try to use this to rest and sleep. Um, some of, and a large part of those that were on selection were able to use that time because they weren't tasked with having to learn this, <laughs> the, the national anthem. They already knew it more than likely. Yeah. But um, I had a really good friend, um, a number of good friends but this guy i remember in particular stayed up he may not remember but he helped me at least my recollection for if not most of it then the the whole way there um but tim allen is his name and he um he helped me always holding it and then and then quizzing me and then i'd have to you know try and sing it again and go no nah, you got that wrong because what i was told is that if i got any word wrong then everybody was going to be punished so i was like oh. so it was um yeah, I didn't sleep when I was on the on the vehicle on the on the bus. Pretty sure we we're on the bus, or maybe it's a Unimog. No, I'm pretty sure it's a bus yeah. that we travelled down on to Collie. So I'm trying to get this right, trying to get the the tune of the song in my of the national anthem in my head. Anyway, I got to the end and did it. Uh, long story short, I got called out. Everybody was lined up, and then the directing staff that had assigned me to do that said that I was now going to sing the Australian national anthem. <clears throat> And I had to sing it out as loud as I could. So I belted it out. I would have been flat as uh, tired. And I felt I got the whole thing right. Um, and and those that heard it, from what I understand, and the boys that come up and tell me, said, oh, good work, because it meant that they didn't have to get punished. <laughs> so he said, even if I got one word wrong, everybody was going to get a punishment. Nobody got punished, which was awesome. But the, the directing staff that assigned that to me, he came up to me later and he said to me, you know, you did get a word wrong, eh? And I, I didn't. I didn't know that I got a word wrong. I said, oh, no staff. And he goes, yeah, you did. And he just left it at that and walked away. And I was thinking whatever 
Um, but then I thought at the same time, maybe maybe I did, and maybe he just didn't punish everybody because I must have done such an outstanding job. But uh, yeah, that was that that was the only only little extra piece for want mm. of a better term that I that in my experience that the Aussies put on me anyway. But yeah, hard case. That is hard case. <laughs> oh man. Hey, let's let's swing back. Let's swing back to New Zealand, and probably we might flip between Australia and New Zealand on, on this one. Um, yeah. But probably getting a little bit more specific in, in terms of cycle. So you've you've gone through selection, you got the handshake, um, then you've you now have to pack on another thirty kgs back onto <laughs> your body and get your feet all good. So you, you get yourself right. So you go on cycle. So what what is that all about? Cool. So that the cycle mm. is where you'll undergo a whole bunch of different training courses that are that you're required to be able to do or undertake or complete or conduct. Um, from an operational perspective. So done within the reasonably safe confines of a training environment, you've got safety elements and stuff and safety staff that are directing things and very specific in terms of around how things are to be done and the training that's compacted and compressed into a relatively short period of time in order to equip you and enable you to perform those tasks or those, those jobs, whatever that might be. Um, whether that's jumping out of an aeroplane, whether that's um, rigging up explosives for demolitions to to take out specific uh, objects or targets, whether that's utilising different weaponry for for the tasks that you may be involved in, whether that's from small arms, a pistol, whether that's sniper rifles, whether that's larger heavy machinery or heavy machine guns, um, whether it's more tactically in terms of field craft and bushcraft being out in the jungle whether that's around counter-terrorism aspects and and everything that's involved and encompassed with that there's a there's a massive amount of stuff that goes into that whether that's resistance to interrogation techniques um, being in combat survival mode and having very limited resources and being expected to still survive and get from place to place to place and meet the requirements all of that stuff is compressed and jam-packed course after course after course over the period of several months. So whether that's nine to 12 months of the year, you are back to back in the training that's been provided. And it's it's awesome. Like again, it's, it's an incredible time. The learning curve for me was steep as mm-hmm. um, because I was, I'm pretty sure I was the youngest on the on the NZ one. You know, not only youngest in terms of age, but youngest in terms of life experience mm. and, and experience in the army in general. So you, you were twenty. Yeah. 20, yeah. 20, yeah. Yeah. And then, um, which, from what I understood or what I found out later, was was you know, it's quite young. So the reason that I found out about that, and sorry, just backtracking a little bit here from cycle. When I applied to do selection uh, as a member in the 1st Battalion Royal New Zealand Infantry Regiment based in Palmerston North, <clears throat> I it, it w- almost wasn't going to go ahead because the officer commanding at, at that time for my company that I was in wasn't prepared to, to I guess, approve it or, or think because I was so young. And it wasn't at that time, from what I understand, it wasn't that normal to get um, soldiers... At a, re- at a relatively young age like I was to go through selection until they had done at least three the, the common 
feedback that I seemed to be getting at that time was, you know, you want to get at least three to five years under your belt, preferably five years under your belt. You have more soldiering experience by then, you have more life experience, you're a bit more mature just all round. And, um, but I didn't want to wait. That wasn't my job. And uh, I wanted to go and do it now and I wanted to be in that place now and I wanted to do something that I believed and felt was going to be more purposeful. Not that being an infantryman wasn't purposeful, I wanted something more just for me personally and I wanted to feel of what those connections would be like because again those snippets that I'd heard the camaraderie the brotherhood that you'll make in that unit is is different and so I wanted to yeah I wanted to be in that as soon as I could so that all of that stuff um, it almost didn't come to pass because of that eventually long story short it did get approved and I was able to go and I was really grateful and so now coming back to your piece around the cycle and what that involves now I'm in the midst of it and this is even more challenging than selection I'm finding Mm. for me anyway because um, I looked at it as as a one and done like if I fail something then I'm getting RTU'd or returned to unit. I'm getting sent back and potentially not even allowed to come back again. So as a young person, you know, those years of experience, had I chosen to stay in battalion and apply a little bit later on, could have potentially come in handy. But again, I think my youth also played a part in, in me being able to overcome that because I was so eager and keen and willing to learn um, and willing to ask the questions because I knew that I was um, young, not only age-wise, but young from a military serving perspective. I uh, could be the dummy on on the cycle, you know, and on the courses and get the extra attention, like by asking the questions to get clarification around stuff. Did I do that all the time or as often as I should have? No, I didn't because I was still mindful of not wanting to come across like an idiot. Um, Mm. So I still had that fear um, Mm. in me to, man, if I ask this question, I'm going to look dumb as. (laughs) So I'm not going to ask this question. (laughs) So I would wait at at times and then go ask one of the boys, hey, man, what what do I do here? What does this mean? And they were were awesome. Every single one of them uh, helped me out no end. And they were just, you know, they were there for me. And so really grateful for them. So... I guess hopefully that helps answer your question. I might have diverged a little bit further oh, and other things, but that's what cycle was about. And then you want to get to the end of that, knowing that you've successfully completed all those elements. And if you've done all of that well, then you get, I guess, the second handshake, which is you receive your beret and you become an operator within the unit, which this might be one of your questions, but that, that piece there was where I didn't get to transition to a live operational squadron, at least not in the New Zealand SAS anyway. Mm. Do you want to explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, I I need to rewind and backtrack a bit before explaining and getting onto there. So selection was done. That was great. Um, I was fortunate to be told that I would progress onto the cycle, mm. which was awesome. Oh, yeah, sorry, just on that. Sorry, sidetrack again. This this little side note, because I guess the purpose of this um, series is to 
not only yes draw out some of these these experiences and memories that happen but also try to in some way relate them to how they could hopefully be of benefit in the world today regardless of people's mm. circumstances and whether that's from a business perspective relationships you know self-employment or you're, you're employed by an organization or whatever and try to share things there so from but this this memory stands out distinctly mm. uh, on the new zealand cycle day one um i was late well I, I wasn't late i got there in time but everybody was already lined up out the front of the the compound of where we needed to parade and be and i rock up my mum's brought me there so <laughs> and uh so i went and stayed with my mum. I was like, oh yeah, yeah be right yeah, yeah it's good like we'll get there and i'm pretty sure it's still a good 15 20 minutes early but everybody was already dressed in their uniform standing at ease in the ranks there this was my group the cycle that i was supposed to be a part of and i don't know if they were wondering where i was or what but i got there dead last mum pulls up in the car i rush out jump in the ranks and there's already the ds standing there like mm. yeah and then i've got to go and report and i don't remember what happened but i just remember feeling embarrassed like this guy's rocked up and his mum's dropped him off <laughs> and to make it worse she had to wait because i hadn't been assigned a room yet in the barracks so my stuff was in the car and i was like oh mum can you just wait here and she's like yeah, but my mum had work uh she had work that she needed to get to anyway long story short i'm standing there embarrassed i'm just looking at the face of the staff and they just look unimpressed like mm. just yeah not very happy unimpressed the boys i think were probably trying to hold in their laughter <laughs> um, and again this is just that nobody of this young kid rocking up here technically an adult mm. But uh, here's my mum in the car waiting. Anyway, we go in there and it was a long like process. We were there for hours and mum, I was like, oh, there was a moment there where I just had to ask the staff, say, can I please uh, go see my mum because I need to get my stuff out because she needs to go to work. And they were just unimpressed. Again, the staff that I asked, they said, yeah, basically get, go. I went out, man, my mum was fuming. She was angry as, mm. I just, I'm so sorry, mum, grabbed my stuff. She basically just piled it out of the car and she left. And um, <laughs> yeah, so that was, that was not a good start for my selection of day one. And I'm just thinking, man, I'm under the pump now. The spotlight is well and truly on me. This is exactly, and all these things went through my head. This is exactly why we don't have young people like you coming on selection and cycle, because then you do stuff like this. You rock up with your mum, you make her wait for hours, <laughs> you go out and do this, and then you ask to go out and, you know, because your mum's waiting. I was like, oh, I was like, man, I, I need to pull my finger out and I need to, you know, start switching on as soon as I can. So anyway, got past the day one of cycle. We start progressing through and I guess coming to that point, and this is where I'll, I'll try to connect why I wasn't, why I, was, why I unfortunately was unable to move into an operational squadron, was that there was one of the boys' birthday parties, and I'm not gonna mention the names and stuff here, but it was his birthday party, it was at a family, at his family member's home. There was a band from memory that was playing there and, uh, and some other civilians and stuff that were there as well. And, um, we trying to fast forward we weren't going into the family member's home to use the bathroom so we're down the driveway 
basically against the fence. I want you know um, where males were going to to do the our business rather than traipsing in and out of the home. And so I went down. There was already a guy there. This was a civilian guy. I'd met him earlier in the night, and I won't mention his name here either. But um, I'd met him earlier in the night. You know, it was good meeting all these other civilians, but they were friends of my mate who was who I was on cycle with. So we were on cycle together. He was celebrating his birthday, and he had some other friends and family and stuff there. Anyway, he was arguing and yelling, swearing his head off at some guy that was heading off, walking away. And this was early hours in the morning, maybe one o'clock-ish, something like that. Lights from the neighbours and that were starting to come on. And I thought, I'll just tell him, hey, don't worry about him, bro, he's gone. Say, so he's gone, man, don't worry about it. I had had a bit to drink this evening as well. And uh, he said, ah, oh, F off, you know, go away, like, and telling me to go away. And I said, and I was just sort of didn't think too much of it. And I said, hey, man, don't worry about it, bro. Just come on, come on back in. And I just sort of put my arm around him because I had met him earlier. I was like, come on, let's head on back up. He whacked my arm off and then pushed me, like shoved me. Um, and then I went flying back a little bit against the fence. The fence sort of caught my fall. And then um, that still didn't really faze me too much. I just mm. thought, because oh, probably because I still had a bit to drink and I didn't really, it was just like a, a push. There was nothing really bad about it. And I didn't go flying back ages. It was just a short distance. Anyway, I foolishly or... Yeah, whatever. I guess maybe foolishly in hindsight, went up again and said, "Hey, bro, just don't worry about it, man. Let's just come back up." And went to guide him back up. And I don't know what they had been arguing about, but he must have been that upset. He just clocked me right in the face, and um, I got really angry. Long story short, I got instantly I got angry, and uh, yeah, we we got into an altercation, and he come off second best, and he ended up. Um, not my definitely not my proudest moment, but I had to be pulled off him um, a couple of times <clears throat> because I, yeah, just instantly got really really angry. Um, he ended up sadly he ended up going to hospital um, with his injuries, and I didn't realise what the injuries were until later. Police and everything came. I was gobbing off to the police. Uh, all my crew or my team that I was on cycle with those that were there. We were gathered around me. They pulled me off him. He he was stumbling away. He came back again. So I went out to meet him again. Then I had to get pulled off him again. Um, I was answering back to the police when they came, and the guys were trying to you know just drag me away, telling me to you know be quiet. <clears throat> Eventually, at that stage, the police didn't cuff me or, or take me away because I guess they didn't know the full situation and they probably just thought it was just this young, drunk, dumb kid. Um, getting cheeky so anyway i got taken back to the barracks by the boys i was worked up and upset got back to the barracks i must have gone off to sleep for a while there was blood and stuff on my clothing that i had had in the barracks and then i get a knock on the door must have been i don't know six o'clock or something in the morning six thirty. <clears throat> i open the door and it's the police there in the barracks and they've come to take me in for questioning they bag up the clothes that had the blood and stuff on it because i just dropped them on the floor in my room Anyway, I got taken into the station for questioning, and um, I didn't. I didn't think anything of it. Like I didn't. I just thought, tell the truth of what happened, of what I recall happening, and you know, whatever happens is going to happen. But I didn't expect that I would be looking at potentially my career being ended, and looking at six years in jail. So, 
Fast forwarding, long story short, I got charged with wounding with intent to cause grievous bodily harm uh, by the police. <clears throat> and that, at the time, uh, from what I was told anyway, came with a six-year sentence. And, um, yeah, that, like, in an instant, once they had outlined those details to me, so bear in mind, I've already given my statement. So they probably would have gone through the relevant protocols. Do I want a lawyer or whatever? And I, I know I would have just said no because I just, and my thinking was, I've never been in that situation before. My thinking is just tell the truth of what happened, of what I recall. And yeah, I will probably get in trouble, but I didn't expect that level of trouble, if, if you know what mm. I mean. So mm. anyway, that's what happened. <clears throat> I gave a video recording, blah, 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 and, and just answered the questions basically just said the same thing as what I've just mentioned. Now, they showed me photos of the guy that I'd had the altercation with. They asked me if I recognised him. I didn't I didn't recognise him. Um, so his injuries were, were pretty bad. Uh, so he had, um, I'd fractured his skull and his jaw and broken his nose. Um, his face was swollen by the time they'd taken the photos and stuff. And when I looked at that, they took it, they'd taken a photo of me as well. So my, that, punch that he clocked me with uh, a, a beauty a good one all I had to show for it was a black eye and quite a bit of swelling on the side but that was it um, and so in that moment it really put into context how much control I lost or self-control I lost of myself in that moment mm. and um, I was yeah I was really filthy with my you know really dirty on myself for for that having happened um, because in comparison and having I guess somewhat some time to reflect and sober up for want of a better term a little bit it wasn't what I had received when I looked at the photos that, so they showed me my photo and then they had his photo there next to them side by side it didn't warrant what I had done so I felt really really bad about about what had happened and still feel bad about it today that that has happened and, and so going through that process um i then got pulled in and i'm fast forwarding now like all that stuff there was there was going to be a court case happening all that sort of thing i wasn't arrested at that time i'd given the statements and released um it was a long process so the court hearings there was two or three court cases that took place but leading up to that so i was still this happened in around about may so pretty early in the cycle um of that year of 99 <clears throat> and so i was still on the cycle i was told obviously i was basically i was told off um by the training warrant officer and those sorts of people and stuff at the time and, and they weren't impressed or happy with what i'd done but i was told that you know all going well and i don't remember exactly what stage so it might have been after the first court hearing that if everything went well and that if I didn't go to jail for what had happened, that I would stay, but I'd be under the microscope, I'd be on a massive probation, but I'd still go to a squadron if I completed everything else. So the cycle's not guaranteed. Just because you're on it, it's not guaranteed that you're going to pass everything. So mm -hmm. I still needed to go through all the courses that were still left to be done. I still needed to pass everything, and I needed to pass everything well um, to warrant getting to the end to receive my wing dagger bearer. Mm. And so that gave a degree of comfort, but it also added more pressure and stress because I've added stress and pressure on myself by getting into this altercation. 
the court hearing isn't finalised and I'm looking at going to jail while still trying to concentrate and do as well as I can on the courses on cycle to prove that, hey, I can not only do this job, but I do really want to be here and I do really want to serve. And uh, so anyway, fast forwarding all of that, we got to the last court hearing. Oh, prior to that, the lawyer that came in that I had a meeting with, I basically got bailed up and said, what did you do that for? What did you give a statement for? Basically made to feel quite stupid, mm. um, which I guess is, is fair enough because what I did was really stupid, but made to feel really stupid in and around something that I had no idea about the legal system or process. I didn't know that you should wait and that you should never give a statement you should never give a statement he made it very clear even if you haven't done anything wrong without having a lawyer or some sort of representation present i never knew any of that so i thought tell them the truth and then you know suffer whatever the consequences are didn't expect them to be that drastic mm. anyway he well and truly drummed that home um and then we went to court the final court hearing and the guy that i had put in that ended up in hospital he was at that final court hearing and I knew that this was the final court hearing. I was going to find out on this day whether I'm going to jail or whether I am somehow miraculously able to get a, either a reduced sentence or just a fine or, or something else. <clears throat> and so uh, I saw him rock up um, and I thought he's just here to, to you know make sure that I go away. <laughs> yeah. And uh, my support from the unit training warrant officer was there. It was... You know, he was a really good support, a good man. You know, he and and the conversations that I had with him leading up to that, you know, he really helped me stay on track. He really helped me a lot in terms of the mental space of where I was at. And and I hope to have him on this podcast. Um, but in there, the lawyer basically presented everything that he could, and the judge said, "Well, I still need special circumstances to not send this person to jail." So I'm standing in the dock. Um, I hadn't had any other, you know, military record was, was good and clean and all that sort of stuff. And, yeah, the, the judge said what he said. Then my lawyer then responded and um, said, well, I know that the victim that was involved in the altercation is here in the court today. I don't know if he has anything that he'd like to say, but he's here in the court. And I was, I was sitting there thinking, man, that's really random. Like, why mm-hmm. would you invite why would you invite the guy that I've put in hospital to say something? Like, all he's going to do is just go, yeah, send that guy to jail. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking. Anyway, he stood up. He stood up in court and he said, and I just looked over at him and he said, oh, yeah, I'm the victim, I guess you could say, Your Honor, addressing the judge. And uh, and he goes, I came here today to see justice done. And I thought, yeah, I was right. And I'm thinking to myself, lawyer, why the hell did you, you know, mention that? And he goes, I come here today to see justice done. And then he said, but I didn't come here, you know, I didn't expect it. And I don't expect it, or I don't expect uh, this person to lose his career over a fight that a couple of guys had after having a little bit too much to drink. And um, man, I was, I was blown away. I was shocked uh, by the words that he had shared that he didn't expect and that he didn't want to see me. He then further went on to explain and said, I, I don't want to see him lose his career over what's happened. And then he said, we were both at fault. He said, you know, we both had probably a little bit too much to drink. He said, yeah, I shouldn't have punched him 
uh, in the head and he said yeah you know he shouldn't have lost it the way that he did but um, you know it was a couple of guys that had a bit too much to drink got into a fight and I came off second best and he says I don't want to see him lose his career over it and um, yeah man that that blew me away uh, I don't I don't know if I started shedding any tears while I was in the dock in that moment, but I know I definitely shed some after when I came out and I had an opportunity to just thank him and hug him um, after. So while I'm standing in there, he said all of this, I'm blown away. The judge then asks him, you know, just a couple of basic questions says, so have you, have you fully recovered from your injuries? And he hadn't. So this was a number of months later. Um, but he said yes the judge then asked him are you back at work and from what I understand he wasn't back at work but he said yes um, he's uh, worked with his hands mechanic and stuff by trade so he was in those moments I guess thinking quickly on his feet because I don't know if he was expected to be asked those questions but yeah trying to frame it in, a, in an even more positive or more favorable light for me anyway in that regard that's how I interpreted it and then um the judge said, okay. So he said, well, okay, based on that and based on what uh, the term was used, victim, based on the victim's um, victim being here today and sharing his comments and thoughts, um, what we'll do is, and so I got a 12-month suspended sentence. So he issued me with a 12-month suspended sentence, meaning that if I got in trouble for anything else, that charge plus this current charge that, I have, that I've been charged with would come into effect. I'd go to jail for that time, for that charge that I was currently on, plus any additional time for whatever you know wrongdoings I might have done. Mm. So that 12 months suspended sentence was coming into play, and then I got a thousand dollar or two thousand dollar thousand or two thousand dollar fine um, to pay and needed to pay for his medical costs um, for his time and stuff that he needed to go through. And man, I thought, you know, I've gotten off really lightly was was my thoughts and feelings around that and just massive amount of gratitude so anyway went around got to thank him shed a few tears embraced him hugged him I've never seen him or spoken to him since um fast forwarding we carry on with cycle that burden and that weight and that pressure is off now now I'm just I'm feeling a lot better I can just focus on the courses whereas before it was the courses it was the content it was the compressed learning environment with the stress of I could be doing all of this and I'm going to jail next month Mm. Um, or in a few weeks time so anyway now I'm into a better rhythm getting through the courses and then we got to the stage of it's the day or two days before the badging ceremony might have been a couple of days before Um, maybe two or three days before I'm pulled into the office uh, speaking with the training warrant officer and the, and the training officer at the time. Um, and they're now telling me uh, and letting me know that, hey, you know, great, the court case has gone well, blah, 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 but we're gonna RTU you back to your unit, return to unit, back to 1st Battalion for I believe it was six months, which is still pretty light in the scheme of things considering what I had done. We're gonna send you back to your unit, six months, you'll come back next year because we're nearing the end of this year now and their bureau ceremony is only a few days away um, you'll come back next year join in with the next cycle from this point on it was probably going to be the patrol procedures phase go through the patrol procedures phase again and carry on with the rest of the cycle 
then you know complete all those courses receive your bureau with the next intake i was yeah i was gutted and i was angry um because that wasn't what i was told when you know when all this other when all this other drama i guess and and that and you know i brought it on myself i don't take anything away from that but all this other stuff that i had brought on to myself it was different from what i'd been told and so i was told that all goes well you don't go to jail you'll be under you know that the eye is going to be on you boy um you're going to be on probation but all goes well you complete everything you'll go to an operational squadron you'll definitely be needing to mind your p's and q's and i'm probably going to get all the crap jobs which <laughs> is fine I, it didn't bother me it's like but then to hear that completely shifted and completely different to what i had been told um i wasn't on board with it i i uh for want of a better term in that instant and in my mind threw all my toys out of the cot i was i was upset i was angry and i was like this isn't what you told me and they and they then said to me summarizing at the end you know okay so we'll see you next year and you come back on the cycle you'll you'll stay here you'll see the guys you know they'll go through their badging ceremony men that i was that i felt you know i've earned the right to stand next to them i should be standing next to them that's how i felt um but i'm not going to get to do that and yeah we'll see you next year uh i don't i'm pretty sure it was right there in that moment that i replied and said no i'll go to australia (laughs) (laughs) i uh, I was like no um i'll go join the australian essays and i think that caught them by surprise and it even caught me by surprise because now i'm 21 Mm. at this stage still young uh and you know just the gall of this young fella to to think he can you know hey we're throwing they're throwing me a lifeline you know they're they're giving me a lifeline to to have the opportunity the door's not shut on me the door's still ajar actually it's it's wide open i was going to go pull my head in for six months in the meantime try to take the positives from that then come back and then get back into cycle know that i've been there before know that i've completed all those courses before and come in and, and try and smash them and do them even better mm. no no young naive and mature joe was like not having it it's like no i thought oh, i'll get used oh, i'm gonna go do the australian one <laughs> and, um i think it might have caught them by surprise and we spoke a little bit more and i think there was a comment from the training training officer at the time you know you know we do have a close connection with the australian regiment so it's it's not like and i wasn't expecting oh, i can go there and they'll never know about it um I know that there's a connection there between the units and between the defence forces and the countries in general. So, anyway, I was still pig-headed, and I was like, "No, nah, that's that's where I'm going." Then, if that's what you're doing, what made it worse for me then, Brian, was that the I'm pretty sure it's the day before, day before we all received our berets, me included, received a sandy beret, wing dagger, stitched in, and we were told to shape them. You shape them before you you receive because there's nothing worse than putting on a beret that's unshaped and it's like this big ugly <laughs> baker's hat that you got flopping around on your head so um <clears throat> i was just i then was hanging on to a thread that am i really going to be able to receive my beer on the day is it going to change am i going to you know be able to go operationally into a squadron was it just a mistake was it a dream i had all these things flashing through my head Anyway, I received my bureau, went through, shaped it, 
like everybody else did the night before we're all you know excited and I'm less excited but I'm still a little bit excited because I've been given my beret and it's got my name in it uh, on a piece of masking tape because they wrote the names on so they're handing them out because we had to give our sizes and stuff go through shape it and then we we knew that we had to hand it back because they need them back and they lay them out on the table and then you know they, they call you out and all that sort of stuff and then you go up and receive them well a couple of things happened went through all of that had my bureau shaped it uh, then I got pulled into the CEO's office at the time and uh, might have been with the RS no it was with the RSM first um, another awesome man at the time had to hand my bureau over so I'd shaped it name was in it and he spoke with me and, and basically reiterated what the training officer and training warrant officer had said go back to battalion six months you know come back blah 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 I still wasn't having it and then he said to me he said oh I hear you your plan is to not come back and that you want to plan to go to Australia and I just said yes I said yeah I'm going to go to Australia I won't I won't come back here they had tried they tried to and he tried to encourage me to you know come back come back here but again I wasn't having it I thought to me it felt like a big up yours from them to me Mm. after what I had been told and what I then was working so hard to do it felt like they were just I was just being flicked off and so I um, yeah I reacted in the way that I reacted rightly or wrongly that's what I did in hindsight now would I have changed it probably not just because of where I'm I'm at now and you know um would I have changed the incident that happened? Oh, yeah, absolutely. If I could have changed that and deleted that from my history, that would have been great to have never have, have happened, but it did. Um, then anyway, uh, I, I still wasn't in a, in, the, in a good space in terms of being even remotely receptive to coming back the following year. Then I got pulled into the CO's office. <laughs> <laughs> and the same, same sort of conversation took place. And uh, I think it was at that time yeah, it may have been at that time, or maybe not. Uh, uh, memory's a bit hazy here, but I remember being pulled into the CEO's office and having a similar conversation. He asked me the same things, and I said, yeah, no, I'm not coming back. I'm going to go do the Australian one. And basically it was left at that. <clears throat> um, I went back to battalion. I did those things, and I started the process of looking at, okay, how do I get to Australia so I can do selection? So that's why... Um, I didn't receive my beret on the badging ceremony day with everybody else. I got to stand on the side um, where behind the families that had come. So you're allowed to invite family members um, that you want to have. So all the boys had their their key family members and spouses and partners there because it's an awesome you know celebration, an opportunity to celebrate the work that they've put in and done. I would have just invited my uh, mum and my uh, partner at the time, so or my wife, um, who's now my wife, I should say. Um, but I never got that opportunity, so I stood behind uh, the families that were there seated in the front, which was fine. But the, probably the most gut-wrenching thing for me was um, having to stand there on the side and not, not be able to partake of that, not be able to officially receive my beret in that environment um, where I had felt I had earned it. Mm. Um, it's particularly going through those things based on what I had been told. Looking at it now and thinking about reflecting on it, you know, even myself and some might look at it and say, well, you know, you probably just behaved like a, a little brat. And that, that may be true, <laughs> you know, as I reflect on it. 
it is what it is and that's how I felt at the time and so I followed through on what I said I was going to do and then yeah I never I never went back uh, to the group there was a couple of instances on a couple of training exercises where um, there was a cycle happening <clears throat> a combat survival course and our battalion was brought in to be part of that hunter force or the security um, for that particular aspect of the training so I was on there and I had one other catch-up with a couple of the staff that were leaders on my cycle and again they spoke with me and asked me you know you're coming back are you going to come back next year and a few months had gone by now you know it's not long to go you're coming back and I'd already I told them again I said no I'm not coming back I'm going to Australia and I hadn't even confirmed anything with Australia yet. (laughs) (laughs) Australia's waiting for you come on bro (laughs) there was no guarantee that I was even going to get into the Australian Defence Force let alone be privileged enough to do the selection let alone get through that to get on cycle etc but I was that stubborn and pig-headed and my mindset was yeah that's where I'm going and that all helped with my selection and cycle because I'd been through that and again reiterating what I'd mentioned earlier to the captain that asked me on the panel which one's harder I already knew I could do it um, because I've already done it and the other key part for me was that um, my mindset was that if I didn't if I failed an aspect of it, like it didn't matter, I was going to go back and do it again. So failing something in my perspective in terms of that particular environment, if I had failed it and I wasn't deemed good enough to be there at that time, that would have just made me go away, work harder, get better, then come back. But because this wasn't a case of you are not good enough, you haven't proven that you're good enough, um, and I was being sent back because of the wrongdoing that I had done, which I accept responsibility for. I just took it as a kick in the guts. Um, and I thought, well, stuff you, I'm going to kick you in the guts too. If I'm not- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take that. Um, so you've invested all this time and, and effort and energy and, and that into training me. And well, stuff you too. I'm not coming back. Real childish, eh? So, um, you know that's that's where my heads headset was or head headspace was, and that's why um, I didn't wasn't didn't receive and and didn't have the privilege of serving in that unit with some really great people. But I've been fortunate enough to have awesome friends um, and wonderful people that I've built relationships with that have served in that unit, um, and mm-hmm. some of them still serve there today. And yeah, just really good men, good people. So that just that's a. Uh... Actually, that is an amazing well, answer, right? That's what you're looking for. That's, a yeah, that's, lot of that's, that's what I was looking for, Joe. <laughs> kia ora, kia ora. No. Um. <laughs> very, I think the word, probably more technical word you're looking for is, that's a very comprehensive answer, Joe. Thank that's, you. That's you're welcome. Out, outstanding. Outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> so, actually, I was thinking about this, and I, I remember that the kind of around that time, and you guys, and you guys are going off to Australia, mm. All right? So obviously you got through that process and, and, and you got accepted, and, and to, but there was, I think, around that time East Timor came about somewhere in this period, and, and I believe you were with, you were Australian Army then. Yep. Were, were you infantry or were you, were you um, SAS? No, with four area, their commander unit. So uh, probably, I guess, a, a level in in the i guess the realm or bracketing or tiering levels of special forces probably the next level down at the time from the australian special forces of what they had so sas being their tier one or their their top their elite 
part of the special forces and then at that time where I was with the 4 RAR commando unit would be the next level down um, or a tier 2 type special mm-hmm. forces for want of a better term they come under that um, or I believe they did at the time they came under a special forces um, bracket or umbrella and, and they've certainly since then have gone on to solidify their their stake and their claim as a as a valid special forces unit um, post my time having the privilege of being able to serve there yeah, I remember. I remember you had some photos, and probably this will lead us more so to you travelling because this was in Sydney, and you were going over to Perth you know, mm. eventually. But I remember you sent some photos of you in Timor, and, and I think there was there, there was kids around you and things, and yeah. um, and which and you were in the Highlands, I guess, or I think that's what it was yeah. in the in the mountains. In the mountains. But there's, but there's one photo I remember, and there's some kids around you, and you're kneeling, but you had a, I, I believe you had a, a, an M4 or, or or similar, and that's. Stood out in my mind because I was thinking, I'm sure regular the regular army uses that the styre, yeah, yeah, primary yeah. weapon. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So um, yeah, and and I think well, at that time, the from my memory anyway, parts of four area had had mm. the styre and that as well. And I was lucky enough, uh, and and well as probably most of, if not all of those in my patrol, we were running M4s, and I had the M4, the two hundred three, um, or the the 40 millimeter um, grenade piece underneath and so <clears throat> yeah the I guess people that have a bit more of an idea and and or have done some research or are interested in that sort of thing sort of those types of things stand out they're like oh I thought the regular army uses the style and you know other sort of more I guess special forces for want of a better term use like the M4 and, and, and those sorts of things and that I guess I is probably something that um, I haven't really thought about too deeply. Um, I think initially when I was starting, going from the New Zealand part, and I was like, I thought, man, this style is awesome. Then I came across the, the M6s and stuff, because that's what we had on, on uh, cycle. So bear in mind, the New Zealand one, only the patrol commanders had the Flash M4, which is the short version. And those of us on the cycle, the plebs, we had like an M16, which was a bit longer, bulkier, but I still felt it was cooler because I was like, yes, yeah, black, and it's, 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 it doesn't have these plasticky bits or whatever. They're like, yeah, this is a real weapon. That's what I was thinking at the time. But um, yeah, and then by the time I got to Australia and then having that, I was so used to those that sort of having that sort of weapon and it just so happened to be that that's what they had. I was lucky... The ADF were really, I just want to, you know, sort of take a moment to acknowledge them, were really, really awesome. They were great in terms of supporting me with my transition over, far more than what I expected or thought would happen. So when I came over, they were really accommodating. They provided letters that I needed to show the New Zealand Defence Force that I was, that I had been accepted to go over, that I did have interviews planned, that I, that I was undertaking testing on this time and that all those things once they were done that I do have an offer to come over and serve Um, what was disappointing was probably yeah just the amount of uh, hoops that I needed to jump through from an NZDF perspective it it felt like and I guess in hindsight again maybe it was because at the time they were losing a number of people to the Australian Defence Force and so they were you know trying to hold on to whoever they could but I just felt like they weren't really supportive in, in helping me make this transition to go to another country and serve in another army um, particularly I could probably understand if it was a country that was completely opposite or that we didn't have a close relationship with 
but I thought you know it's Australia like they're they're mm. the big brother so to speak like what is the big deal anyway ADF was really accommodating they provided me all that stuff I was able to get over and then went through that process and then in addition to that um, the leaders there at the time I had to I didn't need to do the basic training again um, what they did get me to do is I had to go and participate in what they called frag week um, on a core training for the infantry part of it or on an infantry core training where they had a new m72 or 66 um, rocket launcher that was coming out a new f1 grenade and all this sort of stuff uh, other bits and pieces which I hadn't used in the NZ defense but part of that week was going to be um, validation and testing and training and all that sort of stuff so I was like yeah no problem so I went there and then at the end of that um, I was then asked which battalion I wanted to go to uh, or which unit I wanted to go to and I knew that well I had heard I didn't know but I'd heard that 4RER was the next unit from the Australian Defence Force that was going to be deployed to East Timor and I hadn't been yet and so I said oh can I go to 4RER 4RER commando unit based in Sydney Holsworthy Barracks and um, yeah it, it happened and then once I got approved for that they said oh whereabouts do you want to go within the within the unit so you've got rifle companies and you have support company and then you've got recon platoon well for me recon platoon was the place where I wanted to be it was probably again more similar to the environment that I had completed with um, selection and so, uh, with cycle um, and that sort of environment so I said oh you know can I go to recon platoon and the, again they said yep and so they let me have my choices so I, I got to go there got to go to recon platoon loved it some some really good friendships and stuff made there and uh, a number of the guys not only from 4RER but from the recon platoon that I was in we were on selection together and we were on cycle together in the Australian one so the bond just grew even tighter and so um, yeah that was that was that piece of the puzzle in terms of uh, getting to Australia and, and going through that process B. Beautiful. That's actually a nice transition. So you're in Sydney, you're in Holsworthy, you've gone to Timor, you've um, this so this was this is, isn't in the first the in initial instances of, of East Timor and, and all the troubles that were having there. This was a little bit later? Slightly later. So I think yeah. the first flare up probably happened in ninety nine or something like that, where where more of the stuff was happening. So this is in two thousand uh, by the stage. And beginning of 2001, when we, from memory, when we actually deployed and went there for six months. Yeah. Okay. So then you've gone there and said, well, okay, look, my big goal is to get to, to, the, to the regiment, which is all the way over in Perth. <laughs> how, how did you start that process? How, how did you get there? Well, I, I started it almost straight away. When I got to the Australian Army, even when I got uh, to that frag week on that core training element of of that course that was happening at the time uh there was there just so happened to be a i think he was a sergeant corporal or sergeant and he was a badged operator of the australian special air service stuck out because of the sandy beret and the wing dagger on his beret compared to everybody else's he was on that frag week he must have because i didn't tell him he came up to me but he must have caught wind or heard that, hey, we've got this guy, he's done the New Zealand selection cycle, whatever. And in Australia, they called it, at the time, their Carter course. They called it a Carter course. And I had a few people when I got there going, oh, you've come over to do the real Carter course, have you? To join the real SAS? You know, just real naive, dumb people. 
Um, that, that's the easiest way I can describe them because they here they are talking about something that they have no idea about. Mm. And so I just, you know, I didn't say too much about it. I was like, oh, okay, and you know, sort of brushed it off. But he came up to me and uh, he was actually, he was trying to help me and ask me, um, he said, oh, you, have you come over from NZ? Are you the guy that's done X, Y, and Z? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. And he goes, hey, nice to meet you. Shook my hand. I was like, oh, this is, you know, this is cool. And he goes, um, hey, I know there's a selection coming up soon, um, maybe in a couple of weeks' time. Did you want to get on that? And at that time, me being naive and not acclimatized to the environment, all I noticed was that it was hot. I was like, yeah, I'd be keen as. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, oh, let me, let me sort of find out. And so he went and asked and made a few phone calls, but he got back to me. And I think this was a blessing in disguise, and I'll, I'll explain why. But he come back and basically, nah, he's like, no, it can't. It's already organized, booked. Everything's already set in motion. You wouldn't be able to get onto that one. You'll just have to wait till the next one comes. Around. I was like, cool. I was like, yeah, no worries. Thank them anyway. And he was one of the instructors on that for that particular core training that was happening. So spoke with him a bit. Didn't really go and hang out with him because because there's still that, you know, I'm there with these core trainees to do this part. I'm not there as a, you know... A, I haven't even been officially granted Australian citizenship to be a fully fledged ADF member at this stage. It's everything is still subject to me getting citizenship, me completing what I needed to complete, or me completing what I needed to complete first, and then getting citizenship, etc. So there's still that barrier. And he was great as well. He was really professional about it. We we didn't just go and hang out and, and talk to each other like we're mates. Like he's this corporal, sergeant, NCO. It's feet together corporal sergeant address them by their rank etc but in the moments where it's sort of downtime it was it was more relaxed and we could we could talk a little bit so that was cool but anyway we, we went through all of that and then once once we finished all of that so to come back to your point about when did all that start i tried to start straight away <laughs> uh, then had to wait and then the deployment for timor came up by the time i got to battalion and then the next thing that came up was um, I couldn't deploy. I got pulled into the my OC's office and then to the CO's office at 4RER, not because I was in trouble, but I was told that I can't deploy unless I'm a citizen um, of Australia. And I was like, oh. I was like, oh, okay. So then I was thinking, well, I'm not going to be able to deploy. In my head, I'm thinking, well, sweet, more time to train for selection. That's all good. I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> but at the same time, I was also mindful. I was like, oh, I'm, you know, I would like to go over. Um, with the team because I've built some good friendships and stuff now the pre-deployment training has been going awesome you know really nailing our roles for what we needed to do etc anyway um, maybe a week or two later or not even that long a few days later I get called in again to my um, uh, platoon or recon platoon commanding officer's office and basically given some instruction was it his or the CO's again one of these was given instruction again and said, be at this place at this time was the Liverpool courthouse, this date and time for your citizenship ceremony. It's swearing in. And I was like, oh, sweet. Okay. So <laughs> I went and uh, I got my citizenship. Um, prior to that, there was a meeting that was organized. I had to go in. It might have been to the same place and I had to answer a couple of questions with the lady behind the desk. It was just a very what seemed very informal face to face asked me several questions i answered them great that's good and then i guess from there was maybe where the communication got sent to the unit 
then I got called and said, be at this place this time for your citizenship ceremony. So I ended up from, I guess, from where to go, by the time all of this sort of came about, I got citizenship in a really short period of time, probably around about two weeks, maybe a little bit more, maybe slightly over. From once all of that uh, realisation that I couldn't deploy it came about to when I got citizenship was really, really quick. Um, but that was awesome. So I went and did that. It was alphabetical order again, so I was sort of in the middle. There's quite a number of people. So I got my certificate, got my photo, got my little trinkets that they had for us. And then we were all told, like even before we went up, you know, and then just take your seat and wait. Wait till at the end when we all stand up and we'll all sing the Australian National Anthem. <laughs> That's what that was, that was thinking. I was in there, typical New Zealander, and I was like, there's no way. I'm not staying here, and I'm not singing this national anthem. And um, real naive and, and, and ignorant. Anyway, as soon as I got my stuff, I went and sat down. Now, you could get up and go leave to go to the toilet if you need to go to the bathroom. So um, I had, and there were some other bits of paper, but I had my citizen's certificate one. So I tucked it underneath my shirt when I got back to my chair, left all my other stuff down and and then got up and walked my way and was making my way out the door and I was quite in the middle of this this big area too the hall that we were in making my way out and there was a person saying oh where are you going I said oh I'm just going to the bathroom and I went out to the bathroom because one of the boys had brought me here's a cop uh, but doing territorial force and he was coming with us in four hours to deploy in this operation and I said he goes oh okay yeah just make sure you come back in after and I was like yeah yeah no worries went out had a sneaky look behind me wasn't looking Scarpa did a run around the door <laughs> straight in the car and was like, let's go, bro. So, yeah, and then we headed off. So I, I avoided having to sing the national anthem. But as you can tell from my earliest, earlier experience that I shared, it caught up with me, didn't it? Yeah, and you maybe should have. <laughs> sing both verses. So maybe, maybe if I had stayed and sung with everybody else, I might have avoided that. But uh, it caught up with me anyway. And multiple times since then, I've had the privilege and, and honor to stand and sing that uh, national anthem as an Australian so I'm fortunate to have dual citizenship Australian citizen New Zealand citizen and um, yeah I stand with pride when those when that national anthem is played but I probably have a bit more pride when the New Zealand one is played <laughs> yeah, I get you I get you so, I, I just want to um, there's so much to, to really unpack so I'm um, You've gone across now. Let's just say we're, we're fast forwarding. You're, you're in the process. Have a night. Sorry, B. No, you're fine. You're fine because it really sets the foundation. Because I guess it, it points out to all those to all those aspiring um, operators, those that are looking to maybe perhaps even just in the defence force, whoever's defence force that you know, that you're going to come across challenges. You're going to come across an adversary, uh, adversary. Sorry, it's just how do you deal with it? You know, and if you're single-minded about your goal, you, you're going to you're going to hit it. So you get across, let, let's just say we, we'll fast forward and we get across to, to, to Perth. Uh, yep. So you, you're in, you're in um, selection there and we know that you've, you've gone through selection and of course it's, it's way easier than the New Zealand one. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Well, actually, you know, just on that point, yeah. by the end of it, um, yeah, overall it was still easier. Yeah. Uh, but certainly wasn't way easier uh, as as what it was on that day three or four when I had the initial panel yeah. interview because by then uh, it ended up being 18, 18 days or 21 days wow. from memory. I think it might have been 21 days, um, but it certainly wasn't easier. And I came off that sort of similar uh, weight, actually. So I, I didn't go on as heavy. 
Mm. So I came off uh, that, I, was, I went on that selection probably close to a ton, close to 100 kilos, but came off and finished around about the same weight, 77, 78 yeah. kilos. So the New Zealand one, I was 10 kilos heavier and came off at that 77 to 79 bracket. This one, I was you know about 10 kilos lighter, but still finished up the same. So um, yeah, that was just, that was interesting to me. Maybe my body was just, yeah, I, I think a lot more prepared, better prepared for it. So I guess it's, it's just points out that mentally it, it uh, you've gone through a similar experience has prepared you for this so even though it's it's same but it's different but it's the yep. same mentally up here it's allowed you to get through that i guess that that's a good lesson for all of us to to yeah. that the failure and i wrote this down the um the failure is something that just drives you to work yeah and and so even though um the the new zealand um selection and cycle well you can't deem that a failure that, that was that was foundation for for what you went through in Perth. So yeah. um, there's a question actually I wanted to ask, um, particularly as you go through, so I'm assuming you have to go through cycle again with yeah. SASR? Yeah, okay. you go through, had to go through everything again. The selection and cycle would have been, at least at that time, uh, you know, there's no guarantee just because you've passed one country or one unit's selection and cycle, there's no guarantee that you're going to pass the others, no matter mm how my mindset was wired, even though I, I knew that I was going to. Um, so yeah, you still need to walk that path. And I think at that time, at least for me anyway, it was good because um, you haven't backdoored it, if that makes sense. You yeah. haven't, you, you can never be that guy that's looked at and gone, oh yeah, he, he came over from this unit. And that concludes part one, an interesting conversation with Joe. Stay tuned for more with part two. If you enjoyed this conversation, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media. Be sure to hit that notification bell so that you can be kept up to date with more inspiring messages from amazing New Zealanders each and every week. If you found this discussion helpful, we invite you to share this link with your networks and tag Brian and I when you do. We would love to hear from you, so please be sure to leave us a review so that we can continually strive to provide the best service possible. As Abraham Lincoln said, the best way to predict your future is to create it. We thank you for your support, Aotearoa, and we're excited to partner with you in working together to create a better future. Let's go. Cool.